Greetings and welcome to episode 1.13 of my podcast. Today I really did not feel like recording an episode. The answer to the question, when did I go to sleep last night, would be that I went to sleep last night about 11am this morning. And when I woke up after a few hours, I looked at myself in the mirror and I looked like Death warmed over, pale, red eyes, and so on. I thought there was no way I was going to record an episode today. I simply did not feel up to it, and my voice is probably not in the best shape right now. But I'm going to do my best. When I woke up, I was exhausted and feeling totally wiped out, but... As I slowly woke up, thoughts started coming, and before I knew it, I was writing them down as fast as I could, and I ended up writing several pages of notes. I usually have not had any notes prepared when recording this podcast. I have usually talked off the top of my head, but this time I felt like I did not want to lose any of the thoughts. So even though I would have preferred to sleep last night, at least the result of that and just getting a few hours of sleep was a sudden tumble of thoughts. So something happened creatively and maybe that's just sometimes what it takes. And now the problem I have is that I have so much I would like to talk about and it will take a long time to cover this ground. I want to get to all the topics at some point or other. Well, a good creative principle is that when any task starts to feel unwieldy, you can simply break it into smaller, more manageable chunks. And the smaller the chunks you break the overall task into, in other words, the more modular you can make it, the easier it is and the more freedom you have, the more freedom you give yourself. So what I'm going to do is make a sort of serial, short episodes recorded in quick succession, maybe daily or every other day, and simply take things in small chunks, one step at a time. I think the real heroes in life are the people who keep life going, no matter what, even when it's the last thing they feel capable of doing at that moment. It's not enough to manage that only on the good days. The people that are real heroes in life are those who keep life going also on the bad days, also on the very worst days. And when the last thing you feel capable of doing is, for example, taking out the trash, or putting food on the table, or taking care of other things that must be done to keep life going, those are the real heroes. So in that spirit, or at least with that intention, I decided to record an episode today and get back to podcasting after about a week's break. This planned quick succession of episodes is also more in line with my original plan for this podcast, which took as its main inspiration or guiding principle to be like a radio program, something with a comforting regularity that you can tune into and listen to whatever 
this guy in Finland might have on his mind this time. When I was younger, I read a lot of superhero comics. And of course I thought because they were called superheroes that they must be the greatest heroes. Well, I wasn't really thinking about it this analytically. I read them because they were fun. But they were called superheroes. They weren't just heroes. They were super. But as time passes, perspectives change, of course, and you start to see things from a different perspective. If you consider, for example, Superman, the history of Superman, it seems like about 50% of the time he goes crazy and becomes a murderer or something, or drops his best friend Jimmy Olsen into the blowhole of a whale. And when the whale blows it, Jimmy goes flying over the horizon. And Superman laughs, leaning back against some air molecules as he hovers there, and laughs. Well, as far as I know, this isn't an existing Superman story. But I don't want to Google it, because it just might be from the old days. And even today, about half the time, it seems like Superman is turning evil. And when he's not doing that, when he's not throwing his best friend Jimmy Olsen into the blowhole of a whale, the other 48% of the time he is engaged in brawls and fistfights with some bad people, like a bad drunk who always ends up fighting with his peers. And only about 2% of the time he's being a good son or potential future husband pretending to be Santa Claus, or sitting down for a cup of coffee with his parents, like a good son, and turning down a third cinnamon roll. So, statistically, we know from the evidence at hand from all these stories that about 50% of the time, about 50% of the days and nights, Superman throws Jimmy Olsen into the blowhole of a whale, and Jimmy goes flying over the horizon. And most of the rest of the time, he's fighting some bad people that he just doesn't know how to stay away from. So Superman would be about the worst choice anyone could make for a husband. Unless one wants one's life to be a living hell of Jimmy stuck in a whale and flying over the horizon and daily fights with bad people and only 2% of the time turning down a third cinnamon roll. Going crazy about 50% of the time is not good. Well, in case this sounded like I've gone crazy, I haven't. This is just my sense of humor. But my main point, which I'll now pivot into, is how these days I see simple human decency as the greatest thing in the world. And a film that made me really see that for good in my life was Field of Dreams, directed by Phil Alden Robinson, based on a book by W.P. Kinsella and starring Kevin Costner. A few years ago, someone asked me who my favorite actor is or was. That question took me by surprise, and now that I look back on it, I think the reason it took me by surprise is that I don't think anyone had ever asked me that question before, which sounds pathetic, 
that no one seems to have been interested enough to ask me who my favorite actor is. Well, I don't actually really think in those terms. Usually it's more that I like a particular film or TV series or story in any other storytelling medium. So I don't really follow actors that way. And because in that moment I was taken aback, I didn't know how to respond. Suddenly I felt self-conscious. I didn't actually answer naming any of the people that I would that I would put highest on my actor list whom I appreciate the most. Those would include people like Edward James Olmos and Christopher Walken and so on, but it's not like I follow their every film. So I didn't really have a good answer to that. And because I didn't, yet I wanted to keep the conversation going and I felt like I needed to say something, what popped into my mind was Field of Dreams and Kevin Costner. So that's the answer I gave. But the reality is I haven't seen many Kevin Costner films and he's not really someone I'm a fan of in particular. It's more that at that point I had rediscovered this film that I had seen when I was younger and I had spent a lot of time thinking about how that basic human decency that he was able to portray in that film had come to mean more to me than any kind of heroics, things that are considered usually hero stuff like superheroes fighting supervillains or that type of heroism. I came to see that this most unassuming form of heroism is the type I really appreciate and value in life. It seems to be also the rarest form. A lot of people do things for the wrong motives, out of narcissism or desire to impress other people or to stand out in a selfish way. The people who simply keep life going, who are good people, who provide for their family and make sure the home is a safe place where nobody needs to fear or live under a dark cloud when somebody gets angry. That's what I value most in life. And that's probably what gets the least attention when it comes to heroism. The character that he plays in this film is called Ray Kinsella and he has a humility and a gratitude at what he has in life which is really the greatest treasure a person can have in this life. A happy, loving, healthy family. That quality of course blossoms even further at the end when he has worked through his issues and the simple pain of never having been able to say to his father that he's sorry for something he said. At the heart of this film, its emotional core is not a murder and it's not a physical confrontation or assault or any kind of physically violent occurrence. It is simply the pain of having said something you regret and that you were never able to take back because the other person died and it's too late for that.
and you are left to deal with that pain by yourself. Well, this film is a story of a second chance in more ways than one, and for more people than one. It is very moving to me that a film can be made whose heart is simply having said something awful that you regret. I can't think of another story like that, certainly not one told with such humanity and, on the other hand, also genuine feeling. This kind of story would not work if it felt inauthentic. Another facet of that diamond-hard pain of this character is his awareness that his father never got to see his grandchild born. He died before that. This was an element that hit home also for some of the main people behind the film, since that was how it was with them too. I know for my own part that I wish I could give my parents more than I have been able to so far. I don't know how widely we realize that our parents go through literal trauma in raising a family. I don't think any of us realize that when we are young. But when we do, when we start to see the price they pay and how they go on from day to day to make the family get through it all, the very least we can do is give them respect and give back as much as we can. Field of Dreams is a film that I never get tired of thinking about. It's very beautifully constructed and it has a really exceptionally beautiful soundtrack by James Horner. When James Horner was approached to write the music for this film, they showed the film to him in a theater on a movie screen without music, of course, or I think there may have been a temp score, a temporary score. And when the film was over, he didn't say anything. He just left the theater and the director thought, oh my God, he really hates the film. He's not going to do it. But the reason he left the theater was that he couldn't speak because it had moved him so much. And of course he went on to write the score. And I think it's his best one, at least the one that affects me the most, and the one I keep thinking about because of its simplicity and how it also takes its cue from the film itself. Some of the people high up at the studio, they kept asking him to write a big symphonic score, but he felt that would have been all wrong because it's a personal story. You don't write at least if you have any sensitivity to storytelling and what is appropriate, you don't put in a huge orchestral score when you are telling a very personal story of personal pain and redemption. At the end, it builds up to more, and then it blossoms, but that's because that's appropriate at that point. Before that, there are just a few instruments used, and it's completely enough. This is one fascinating thing about writing film music, as in so many things, often less can be so much more. I think the greatest people are those who, despite everything, despite whatever difficulty they may be facing, 
on that day or in the night. They still keep going and they do what is necessary to keep life going. This is a crazy and unexpected time for many of us. And anyone who can act as a beacon of sanity to whatever degree, or at least aim for that, I think that's a really good thing to do and aim for. We don't need any more drama and we don't need angry outbursts or outrage. I think most of all we need people who carry on and not people throwing their best friend into the blowhole of a whale. Thank you for listening and putting up with my strange sense of humor if you made it this far. I wish you a very good night. Take care.